Psalm chapter 3, Psalm chapter 3, or Psalm 3, this evening. Now, in our study through the Bible, we finished Job, we're into the book of Psalms. And remember, the woman came, uh, began our study, our thought was we want to know how God deals with his people. What can you and I expect God to do uh, in terms of dealing with us? So as we look at the book of Psalms, we're not going to look at it comprehensively. We're not going to try and uh, break up each psalm into its individual parts. What we're going to do is we're going to just glean from the psalms how God deals with his people. So what we'll do is we'll go from psalm to psalm and we'll pick up uh, some things as we go. And I think we'll be helped because the book of Psalms is... uh, It's the heart cry of people. Many of them are written by David, and uh, David had a close relationship with God and walked with God, but he also had a a poet side to his nature that allowed him to put in verse what was going on in his heart. And, And, you know, we can identify with what's going on in David's life. We can identify with what's happening in, with him, uh, with how he's being moved by the things that are happening. And, and it helps us as we look at how he dealt with God and then how God, God dealt with him. And that's going to be the focus of our study. So let's have a word of prayer and then we'll begin. Father, would you bless us tonight? Lord, we love you. We want to know you better. Uh, Lord, we want to know your way and how you deal with us. We want to know uh, how it is and what it is that we can expect you to do uh, in our lives and in our situations. And Lord, we do pray that you would help us now as we look to the book of Psalms. Help us as we uh, look to these Psalms tonight. Lord, and bless, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, as we look at our topics, we're going to, they're going to seem a bit diverse. Don't worry about that. Each one of them are a separate topic. They're going to be a help to us uh, in a different way. So Psalm chapter 3. Now, uh, David is writing <clears throat> when he fled from Absalom. The beginning of the psalm will, <clears throat> will sometimes tell you what the occasion of writing the psalm uh, was. Sometimes uh, it doesn't. Many times it doesn't. And sometimes it tells you, but it doesn't help because it's hard to work out what's actually going on uh, anyway. <clears throat> but this one tells us very clearly. Uh, it says it's a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Now, life is uncertain and bad things happen. But some of the worst things that happens to us, worst things that happen to us, happen in our families. And if you can think of a situation for David the king to have to face that will be the worst thing possible, uh, it would have to be a situation like this: Absalom, his own son, has conspired against him. Uh, he has planned to take the throne from David, and he has uh, worked with others to, to 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 bring it to the place where he has the throne, and the nation are behind him. And it looks like it's a done deal for David. He is being ousted by his own son, and now his son is chasing him down to kill him. Right? David's on the run. It's a pretty low point in David's life. Uh, He's an older man at this stage. He's not in the first flushes of youth or anything. Uh, He's come to um, that stage in life when you would expect that things would get a little bit easier, and they're not getting easier. Instead, Absalom... Uh, is going after him and looking to destroy his own dad. Absalom's a very bitter young man, um, and he's filled with hatred and filled with uh, anger over some of the things David hasn't done, and he's now going to kill him. And it looks like that's what's going to happen because the whole nation are behind him. The whole nation, uh, he's, he's succeeded in getting the whole nation behind him to do this. So, but in Psalm 3, we find David writing, and he says, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. 
Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God, Selah. So, first of all, his son has risen up against him. It's, it's even hard to say that, isn't it, for him? Um, but he says, many people have risen up against him. He was the king. He had enemies. Uh, they were subdued by the fact that he was the king and he had uh, control. But you know what? When Absalom succeeded in getting things going against him, they all came to the surface. They were all going to have their part. They were going to have their say. Uh, and they had turned against him. But look what he says. Because this is, this is the heart of what we want to look at here. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill, Selah. I laid me down and slept. I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. All right, so David is in a place where um, he is ruined, effectively. Right? He's off his throne. He's uh, left behind his family. Uh, he's left behind his, some of his concubines. Absalom has um, insulted him in the highest way uh, by taking his wives. And um, David has lost his glory. He's lost his protection. He's on the run. But he says, Thou, O Lord, art a shield for me. Do you know that God can be a shield for you in the darkest days in your life? Now, it doesn't matter how dark it gets. God can be a shield. God can protect you. God can be there for you. You see, most of the things that we do in life, <clears throat> we're hunting for security. Why do we want to have enough money in the bank so, so we'd be secure? We want our relationships to be secure. We want our job to be secure. We want our home to be secure. We want security. But do you know that there really is no security in our world? Uh, nothing is secure in this world. People die. Uh, financial crisis happen in people's lives. People get sick. Uh, relationships go sour. There's no security in this world. Now, we want it, and we try to have it, and we, uh, and we do our best to have it, but there is no security except in the Lord. He can be your shield. In the bad times, he can be your protector when things go wrong. He's the one who's above all of it. He's the one who promises, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And he can be your shield in the bad times. Here's David on the run from his own son, expecting at any moment that Absalom's going to arrive on the scene uh, with a sword, with a spear, with whatever he can, and kill dad. And he says, but thou art my shield. We need to understand something, too, that it's good for us to declare those truths. And what do I mean by that? Is, I mean, it's good for you to say to yourself, God, you're my shield. That's helpful. I mean, do, you, do you think David felt very protected? I mean, he had little reason to feel protected. He was on the run. He had little reason at all to feel protected, but he says, God, you are my shield. Because he knew that God could and would protect him in the end. By the way, this thing turns out very well for David. Absalom does get killed, which he deserved, but David, and David wasn't happy about that because he felt, felt guilty about it. Uh, but God did protect him. And then look what else he says. For thou art a shield for me, my glory. One of the things that David lost was his good name, was his reputation. All his glory got swallowed up in this thing. All the people who looked at David as being a great king, as being the man, as being the, the one, all of them now are questioning. 
All of them now were looking at him and saying, you know what? Didn't work out for so well for him, did it? Now he's on the run. Now his son is trying to take over and, and um, <clears throat> he's on the run from him and his glory was gone. Uh, Shimei uh, <clears throat> walks, uh, one, of the, one of the sons of Saul walks along the other side of a hill and he, uh, he, he calls David a bloody man and he, uh, <clears throat> he insults him and he, uh, <clears throat> he, he, he calls him all kinds of names. You couldn't do that a few weeks ago. Not to King David. It would not have been safe to do it. And yet now he's able to do it. And David's glory is gone. But it's not. Because he says, Lord, you're my shield. And you're my glory. Do you know there's only one person that really matters for you to look good in their eyes? That's God. And he knows you. He's not phased by anything you do. He knows you. And do, do you know that that releases you from all the pressure to have a glory that everybody looks at? Because it's only God that matters in the end. Because He is your glory. He is your good name. Paul said this, he said, I will not glory save in the cross of Christ my Lord. My glory is the cross. My glory is the fact that he saved me. My glory is the fact that I am his. And nobody can take that away from you ever. Nobody can take that away. That's, that's yours. That's something he's given you. Can the world look at you differently? Can the world disparage you? Can the world get you wrong and miss it with you? Can, can the world <clears throat> say things about you that are not true? Yeah, and it probably will. Can Christians do that? Yeah, they probably will. But your glory is not resting on what they think of you. Your glory is resting on the fact that God is your glory. And and then I love the next part of this verse. It says, And the lifter up of mine head. You can imagine that David, uh, at this point, was just ashamed. His own son. His own son had just been horrible to him. His own son had sought to humiliate him in every possible way and wanted to kill him. And you can imagine David going around with his head down. What's the point? But he says, but God, you're the lifter up of my head. You're the one that will lift up my head. Now, the world may give you every reason to be downcast and for your head to go down, and for you to have nothing to be uh, thankful for, or nothing to be grateful for, or nothing to be proud of in your life. But there is one who is the lifter up of your head. And we would do well to spend less time looking at our circumstances, and more time looking at our Lord. Because ultimately, He's the one that has the say and the sway in our lives. In Sunday school this morning, we talked about... of a King David in Psalm uh, 142. And we talked about this. In Psalm 142, David's on his own. Saul is chasing him. And it's, it's going down, down, down. And he's, and he's distressed. He's got no hope. And then he turns a corner and he says, But thou art my refuge and my portion, and the righteous will compass me about. Why? Because he believes that God's going to take and turn his situation around. And when we look at the circumstances in our lives, sometimes we just go down with them. But when we remember, no, he is my shield. He is my glory. 
and he is the lifter up of mine head. In other words, God's on the throne. He's in charge. He is God. It's going to be okay because he's going to take care of me. He to remember that. He to keep that in your mind and in your heart. Don't let the circumstances be bigger to you than God is. Then he says, verse 4, I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. Think on that. Selah, think on that. What does that mean? Here we have little man, King David, or kind of sort of ex-King David, because Absalom has now taken his throne and said he's the king. And we have little man, King David, who's on the run with his entourage, and he cries unto God in his holy hill. He cries unto God in heaven. And what does it say? And the Lord heard me. That's incredible. We take that for granted. We take for granted the fact that God hears us when we cry unto him. Puny little person that you are, no strength, no power of your own, when you cry unto him, he hears you. Now, you've got to believe that by faith. You've got to believe. Listen, are you worthy of that? No. Are you that important? No. It's not about that. He hears you. When you cry out to him, he hears you. Now, you know, <clears throat> we could be given a list of important people that we could phone uh, <clears throat> if we were in dire circumstances, and we'd be inclined to use the phone call. Maybe you have a good solicitor and you get picked up by the police, you know. You're going to call your solicitor, aren't you? You're going to get him on the case right away because, you know, you, <clears throat> you want somebody watching out for your side in the whole thing. Right? But, you know, solicitors can only do so much for you. Not that it would be wrong for you to call your solicitor, but it shouldn't be your first call. Your first cry is unto the Lord. Lord, I need you. Financial crisis hits and you have somebody who's got money and who can help you. Your first call shouldn't be to them. Your first call is to the Lord. Sickness hits and you know somebody who's a doctor. That's not, I don't think there's any problem calling them, but you know what? They shouldn't be your first call. Your first call is the Lord. Because from his holy hill, he hears. From heaven, he hears. You know, <clears throat> this is not the right picture, but there almost is this picture. It's as though God sits or stands listening for you and I to cry. He, he sits listening for us to cry out to him. You see, God is a deliverer. That's who he is. We, we just sang about it in the song, I Run to Christ. He delivers me. He, he delivered you in salvation, didn't he? he? He wants to be known as a deliverer. And we very often forget that the crisis moments in our lives are, <clears throat> are not just accidents that we have to get God involved in. The crisis moments in our lives, God is there before us in those moments because he brought them about in a certain sense. And he brought them about so that we would cry unto him and he could deliver us. And so, as long as it takes you to get around to crying unto him, <clears throat> it's as long as it's going to take you for you to get, get your situation sorted. You need to cry unto him. Now, I don't mean that he's going to fix your situation as soon as you cry unto him, but he wants to be involved in your life, in your situation. So cry unto him. Then look at verse 5. Verse 5 is so sweet. Here's David. 
His heart must have been broken. He must have wept as he went. He's in fear of his life. He's worried about what's going to happen to the kingdom. He, you know, his, his grief, his burden, his weariness. But look what he does. I laid me down and slept. I awaked for the Lord sustained me. Yet David wasn't able to sleep because his situation was a good situation because it wasn't a good situation. It's a bad situation. It's an impossible situation. It's, humanly speaking, a no-hope situation. There's no way out of this. There's no way this is going to work out. But David could sleep. Why? Because he'd given it over to the Lord. And the Lord sustained him. The Lord took care of him. Do you think God wants you and I to do that? Do you think that might be the very reason why we've got problems and difficulties in our lives? Because God wants us to cry out to him and he wants to be the sustainer, the deliverer of his people. He, he wants to be your shield. He wants to be your glory. He wants to be the one lifting up your head. And so often what we're doing is we're, 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 we're taking ourselves off. We're looking for somebody to help. And we're chasing our tails, running around in circles. And we miss it completely. Now, this is of God. God wants to be my shield. He wants to be... Um, my glory. He wants to be the lifter up of my head. He wants me to rest in him and sleep because he's going to sustain me and take care of me. And as absolutely impossible as David's situation was, do you know that God worked it all out? And David gets his throne back and gets everything back. God worked it all out. And you and I get involved in situations and we think there's no hope, there's no possibility, there's no way of working it out. Listen, just bring it to the Lord. Humanly speaking, you may not be able to fix it. He may make it so that nobody else can fix it either. He may make it so that the only one that can sort your problem is him. And the quicker you get to bring in your problem to him, the easier it's going to be for you. Because he wants to be your shield. He wants to be your glory and the lifter up of your head. He wants to be the one that, that you rest in so you can sleep. All right, uh, <clears throat> turn me to Psalm 4. Verse 1, we're going to look at verse 1, we'll read as far as verse 3, right? <clears throat> Actually, we'll read another verse as well. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. Now, <clears throat> we don't know when this psalm is written, uh, but it's written in a better day, obviously. Uh, it's probably written before the last psalm. The, the, the psalms are not necessarily in any chronological order. Um, <clears throat> that, that's not the way the grouping works, right? But he says, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Now, the idea of being in distress is you're constrained. You're pressed. You've got no options. You've got difficulties. You've got problems. David experienced that previously when Saul was on his case. Saul was going after him. Saul was trying to destroy him. Saul, Saul wanted to kill David. And then he had the whole army of Israel uh, on David's case. So, so everywhere David turned, he could feel, Saul's going to get me. And so he was constrained. But what did God do? God enlarged him. Not only did God protect him and keep him safe from Saul, but God gave him Saul's throne. And all that was Saul's, he enlarged him. He took care of him. David had a problem he couldn't fix, and God fixed it. 
Now, God ever do that in your life? Did God ever enlarge you when you were in distress? Did God ever take and work out your problem and fix it and sort it out for you? Well, he did. You saved today? The biggest problem you ever had was the fact that you were going to hell. That's the worst kind of distress there is possible for a human being to have. But the fact that God enlarged you, the fact that God took away that problem and fixed it, is a, is a harbinger, is a, a promise, if you like, that he's going to do more for you. Bible says, if he gave us, if he gave us his son, will he not freely also give him all things? Give us all things. You know, that God fixes your biggest problem, will he not also fix all the little problems? Will he not also step in and get interested in your life and take care of the other problems in your life? If he, if he, if, if he was willing to send his son to deal with your biggest problem, will he not take care of you in your other problems? So you need to write it down. Mark it in your mind. Yeah, I had this problem. God saved me. And I had this problem, and God helped me. And I had this problem, and God fixed it. And I had this problem. And you know what? You need to build up a list of things in your heart that you're thankful for that God has done in your life that he's taken care of you in so that you can help your faith when it comes to the time where you're in distress. Because God enlarges us when we're in distress. What does David say? He says, have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. Lord, I'm in distress again. You worked for me before. You did it for me before. You fixed it for me before. Now, Lord, I'm in distress. Will you help me? Oh, ye sons of men, how long will ye turn my glory into shame? How long will ye love vanity and seek after leasing? But know that the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. Now, <clears throat> verse 3 is actually a key to us understanding God's dealing with us. What does it mean to set apart? It means God sets you apart. He has set apart him that is godly for himself. God has taken and set you apart from the rest of the world. See, when we get saved, I, I, I'm pretty certain we have very little clue as far, as far as how far-reaching the ramifications in our lives are. I think when somebody gets saved, you know, uh, oftentimes they treat it like fire insurance and they carry on living the way they were living and they find it doesn't work. You can't get any traction. You can't make it work. Cause, why? Because God has set apart him that is godly for himself. When you got saved, God adopted you into his family and he said, now you're mine. You're my kid. I love you. I've got a plan for your eternity. I want to work out that plan for eternity. And you need to understand that the plan I've got for your eternity is what we're working on. And if you, if, if you don't get on board with that plan, it's going to get very difficult in your life. See, it's not like before you were saved. Before you were saved, you know, you got by with a whole lot of things. Before you were saved, you know, your flesh worked pretty well. After you're saved, your flesh just gets you in trouble. It's amazing, isn't it? Every time you go the way of the flesh, you just get, it just causes bother in your life. It just causes difficulty in your life. Why? Because God has set you apart for his. And it's not, it's not that God... <clears throat> You know, has a panic attack when you do something wrong and wants to kind of wipe the floor with you. No, it's not like that. It's when you do something wrong, God is grieved, number one. Secondly, he says, you're my child. You're not going to get away with that. I'm not going to let you do that. God has a plan for you. 
Folks, what would we think of a parent uh, who had a child and the child uh, outright disobeyed the parent and did their own thing when they were two and three? What would we say about that parent? You got this tiny child who does their own thing, goes their own way, stomps that little foot, and everybody backs down and lets the kid have his own way. That happens. What's going to happen in that child's life? Going to be good or it's going to be bad? It's going to be bad. It's always going to be bad for that child. See, the Bible says the foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from them. That the child, by nature, has foolishness bound in them, but the parents are supposed to take that child and work that child through and take, you know, take the foolishness out of them so that they don't grow up foolish. So when parents fail their kids, you know, we cry shame and we say, that, that poor child. Because most children's problems are really parent problems. Now, we hate that, don't we? We absolutely hate that, but it's true. Many of the problems I've seen in my kids are my problems. Problems you see in your kids, they're your problems. Now, so what do you think a good heavenly father would do when his child is willful and does their own thing? How do you think he's going to respond? How do you think a heavenly father that loves you is going to respond when when his child does wrong, goes their own way, and is rebellious? He deals with it. Now, do you think he deals with it by blessing the child? I don't think blessing the child would help the child. I think what helps the child is for God to stand against. And so life gets hard. And it grinds very hard. It gets difficult. And I understand this. This was not true of you before you were saved, but it is true of you after you're saved. So that if you want to go your own way and do your own thing, you need to understand, no, no, my Heavenly Father has set me apart. I'm His. I'm different. I'm set apart. And you know what? He wants me to walk with Him. That's the negative side of it. The positive side of it is this, though. God is that interested in me. Do you mean to say God loves me so much that he's kind of interested in me? Isn't it a wonderful thing to see a mother or a father pouring love, time, energy, and effort into their children? Isn't it a beautiful thing? That's what God does with you. It's not because he hates you. It's not because he wants to give you the back of the hand. He doesn't kick you out of the family like some people think he does. No. You're his family now. He's interested in you. He loves you. He wants the best for you. He's going to work in your heart, work in your life. He's going to deal with you. You know what the best thing you can do is you can say, hey, I'm yours, Lord. You can do what you like in my life. Lord, help me to walk your way and know your way. Help me to live for you. So the Lord will hear when you call unto him. See, you can can depend upon God to deal in your life, but you can depend upon him to hear when you call unto him. See, here's what the enemy will do when God is dealing with you. When things get hard and things things grind difficult in your life, the enemy will say to you, listen, because he doesn't care about you. It's because you've overstepped the mark once too often and God's done with you. He's finished with you. That's never true. There's a promise in the scripture that says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Not on your worst darkest night will God leave you nor forsake you. He's there. He is the God who is there. He is the God who loves you. So that when you feel like he's forsaken you, you're wrong. 
And you need to tell the enemy to get lost and you need to cry out to the Lord. Because no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've gone astray, no matter how long you've spent away from him, when you cry out to him, he's there. He always was. You just weren't relating to him. Because he set you apart. You're different. God's dealing in your life. God's working in your life. Um, Look down in verse 6. There be many that say, who will show us any good? He says, Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. You know what that means? That means just, Lord, smile upon us. They say there's nobody going to help us. They say we're on our own. They say we've got trouble. But Lord, listen, you set me apart. Now, Lord, smile on me. And you know what David is recognizing there? David is recognizing in his life that it's not his sword. And it's not his men. And it's not his ability as a, uh, to go to war and fight against Saul or anybody else that's coming after him. Do you know what the important thing is? God, smile on me. Just sm- And you know where God's smile is? Things happen. Good things happen where God's smile is. See, oftentimes in the in the psalm, this this thought comes up, and the most the, the, one of the things that you and I need to covet, right? One of these we need to desire is God smile. Lord, that you would just smile on my life. That you would just smile on me, Lord. Would you smile on me today? Would you just bless my life today? Lord, I don't deserve it. Lord, I'm not good enough. Lord, I haven't earned it. But would you just smile on me anyway, Lord? Would you just bless in my life today, Lord? I think we get all caught up in all the things we're supposed to do and in all the things other people are supposed to do and in all the things we deserve and everything else. And we miss the reality. You know what? The only thing that really counts is if God smiles on my life. When God smiles on my life, things work. And when he doesn't, they don't, and there's no power on earth that can overcome it and make it work. David recognizes, you know what? The important thing in my life is just simply his smile. I wonder, are you aware of that every day? Are you aware of the fact that what you need is his smile? Are you aware of the fact that Tomorrow is going to be a big day in your life and all kinds of things are going to happen. You have no idea. And the thing you need most is his smile. Wouldn't it be good for us to be aware of that? Wouldn't it be good for us to wake up in the morning and come to him and say, Lord, would you just smile on my life today? I, I, I need your smile. Look at Psalm 5, because we hit this thought in verse 3. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. I think this is lovely. What David's doing is going to be, he's going to be up early in the morning to spend time with God. Now why? Because the thing he needs is God's smile. The thing he needs is to be right with God and for God to smile on his life. In the morning, um, you're going to hear from me, Lord. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be crawling out to you in the morning. Now, <clears throat> listen, can, can you have your devotions before you go to bed at night? Well, of course you can. But you know what you've just done? You've just gone through the day trying to make it happen by yourself. 
and you've missed the reality of, you know, what I needed was his smile on this day. And I think we can live sometimes like pagans. We can live sometimes like there is no God and we just got to make the best we can happen. It's all down to me today. And we get up and we go for it and we do the best we can. When You know what? That time spent with God before you go into the rush of the day. That time when you do business with him. That time when you ask for his blessing, for his smile on your life. The most important part of your day. That's amazing. You can sit there in your chair and you can talk back and forth to him. And it's amazing how the day can just work out even as you sit there. You begin to know what you need to do. You begin to know how to tackle that job. You begin to know how to work those things out. His smile gets involved. I think we've got an open door to come to him and ask him for help with each day. And I think sometimes we just miss it, don't we? Because we're so busy doing it ourselves that we forget that we can't do anything. And we forget to cry out to him. In the morning, O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee, and I will look up. Now, let's think that that picture is wonderful. All right, so David's there, and he's praying, and he's saying, Lord, I I need help today. And Lord, there's this problem uh, that needs to get fixed. And Lord, I don't know what to do with this situation. And Lord, I got got this issue over here. And and Lord, I need need your, your input into it. And then he's going to look up. Why is he looking up? Because he's expecting God to answer. So now he's going to go through his day, and he's going to go through his day looking up, expecting that God's going to get involved in the situation. Expecting that God's going to step into the situation and do something in the situation. Do you know we're supposed to live expecting God? We're supposed to live expecting that God's going to step in and God's going to get involved. Now, when you don't live expecting God, uh, you get really frustrated about the interruptions and about the, the, the checks and the changes in your day, don't you? Because they're so frustrating, they're so annoying. Folks, do you know what? Oftentimes in your life, the interruptions and the changes that are happening in the day to your plans are things God is working out in your life. But you're getting bent out of shape. You're getting frustrated because it's not working out the way you want to. And instead of you getting bent out of shape and frustrated, you can take a step back and say, now, Lord, are you saying something in this situation? Are you, are you leading me in this situation and showing me something else you want me to do, showing me a different way? And it's amazing how if you learn to do that, if you learn to look up and expect God to step into your situation, it's amazing how often God will step in and show you a better way than you had planned for dealing with your day. But you need to look to him. You need to depend. Look up. Spend your day looking up. Start your day crying out to him, Lord. And then spend your day expecting him to step into the situation. Because he's a God that cares. He's a God that's involved. And he's a God that wants to be intimately involved in your life. Expect him. You invite him in. Expect him to show up. You tell him you don't know what to do. Expect him to show you a way. Expect that God's going to step into your situation and that God is going to help you. Now, look what he says in verse 7. But as for me, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy. Now, when you read the Psalms, when you read the Old Testament sometimes, it gets a little bit confusing. Because David will talk, because of my righteousness will you do this. And sometimes it feels like, hang on a minute, is is he dealing in mercy or is he dealing in righteousness? Well, um, he's dealing in mercy. David knows that everything he has from God, 
He has because of mercy. But because of God's mercy working in David's life, David lives the way God would have him to live. And so therefore, David is looking and he's saying, Lord, I'm living in your economy. I'm living in the place and in the way where you want me to be. Lord, will you help me? Do you know that when you and I live in the way God wants us to live, we can expect his help. But remember, it's not, Lord, you better because I did. It's, Lord, your mercy has worked in my life, and I know you, and I'm walking with you. Now, Lord, would you bless, please? They're two totally different things there. It's because of God's mercy that I can ask anything from him. Uh, So when I cry out to him in mercy, I can expect him to come. And in thy fear will I worship towards thy holy temple. And look at verse 8. Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness. Because of mine enemies, make thy way straight before my face. Did you ever wake up in the morning and you don't know where to go? And you don't know how to go? And you don't know what direction to take? And and Google can't help. Uh, You need need God's path and God's way for you, you. And you don't know it. Well, ask him. Lord, lead me. Lord, you lead me. Now, if God's going to lead me, first of all, I have to want it. But secondly, I have to yield to it. And oftentimes I'm so focused on what I want to do and how I want to do it and what I think is the best in the situation that I can miss out on what God wants to do in my life. No, Lord, lead me. Guide me. Lead me today. I want you to show me what you want me to do, Lord. And I want to do it. I want, I, I want to walk with you today. I know your blessing. I know your presence in my life. Lord, lead me. Guide me. Make your way straight before my face. Kind of like this. Lord, I'm pretty dumb. And if you give me an opportunity, I'm going to miss it. Would you make it very clear for me? Would you show me very clearly how you want me to handle this day, how you want me to deal with these problems? Would you just be be there in the situation and show me what you want me to do? You know, when we do that, when we cry out to God and ask God to do that... uh, We're going to find in our lives there's this clear leading and guiding and walking. Now, I have to take my hands off, off control. I, I, I can't run my own life. I don't, I don't have that privilege. I'm not good at it anyway. Neither are you. I have to take my hands off the controls. I have to say, Lord, you show me what you want me to do. Lord, let me follow you. And I have to learn to follow him. But when I follow him, he leads me. He makes a plain path before me. He shows me what he wants me to do. Now, he doesn't send me a long letter telling me all the, all the plays and all the steps. But you know what? His spirit communes with my spirit, and I know what he's leading me to do. And as I'm doing it, as the day goes on, you just know God's presence, God's real. He's there in it. He's leading you. He makes it very plain. <clears throat> now, skip down to the last verse. For thou, Lord, wilt bless the righteous. With favor wilt thou compass him as with a shield. Now, David already talked about mercy. The basis of it all is mercy in this psalm. But you know, when you give yourself to him, when you yield yourself to him and let him have his way in your life, and your heart is to follow him, and your heart is to know his way, and you're asking him to make his way clear in your life, to, um, to, to make his way straight in your life, and, and you're, you're one of those people, those rare people on this planet that wants to walk with God today. 
that wants to know his smile today, that wants to know his blessing today, that wants to know what it is to have God's presence in your life and God's leading and guidance in your life, that wants to lean on him and depend upon him and not lean on your flesh and not lean on other people and not lean on the world. When you're one of those rare people that wants to walk with God like that, you know what? You can expect favor in your life. Not because you're good and you deserve it, but because that's what God is looking for. Bible says this, that God's eyes go back and forth throughout the whole earth, seeking those whose heart is perfect towards him, that he may show himself strong on their behalf. Now, what's a perfect heart? Doesn't that kind of, can't you kind of stumble on the idea of a perfect heart because you think, oh, I'm not perfect. I could never be perfect. Well, God knows that. A perfect heart in the context of that verse is a heart that is fully depending upon him. A heart that is looking to him. A heart that is expecting him to lead and guide. A heart that is fully depending upon him. Do you know what? I can't be perfect. But I could depend upon him. You can't be perfect. But you could depend upon him. And you know, if you and I would set about in our weakness and in our desire for him to live his way this week, to depend upon him, to walk with him, to know his smile, to walk in his way, to let him lead and guide in our lives. You think we could expect God to show up? Think we could expect God to make himself real? Do you think we could expect favor and blessing and a smile? Well, I guarantee you could. I guarantee you'd know blessing. If you would yield your heart to him and say, Lord, I want your way. I want you to lead. I want you to guide. I want your way. I want your smile, Lord. I can't do it. I can't do this thing. I don't know how to run this thing, Lord. Lord, I'm looking to you. And you would depend upon him and look to him. I think we could expect favor and blessing and a smile this week. And I for one want it. Don't you? Let's stand and we'll ask God to work in our hearts and lives. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Psalms, Lord, and for the blessing that you pour out to us from them. Now, Lord, we've gleaned just a few verses tonight. But, Lord, they've shown us a picture of you, Lord, that your heart and your desire is to bless your children. Now, Lord, we're taking you at your word, and, Lord, we're claiming it. We're asking it. Would you bless us this week? Lord, we want to walk with you. Now, you know us, Lord. You know we're weak and feeble, and you know we'll get it wrong. But, Lord, when we get it wrong, show us, Lord, so we can get it right. But, Lord, we want your blessing. We want your hand upon us. Would you just be with us this week? Uh, Would you help us to walk with you? In Jesus' precious name, amen. As the piano plays, why don't you do business with God, just between you and him? Lord, I want to yield myself to you. I want your smile and your blessing upon me this week.